It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Fans First Sports Network listeners, welcome to the second episode of The Call Sheet. I am Kevin Smith, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at KTSmithFFSN. I'm a contributor to the Steel Curtain Network, been writing and doing podcasts for SCN for a while now, and I'm also now a contributor and podcaster for the NFL platform of the Fans First Sports Network, and I'm really happy to be with you. In addition, I am the head football coach at a high school in Ocean, in uh, New Jersey, Ocean City High, and have been the head coach for 13 years now. So my goal on this podcast is to put all that together and to create interesting content about football and coaching in the NFL that somehow contributes to your love of the game and, and gives you a little something to take with you at the end of the show. So I hope you enjoy it uh, on today's show. We're going to do two things. We're talking quarterbacks today. And in part one, in our, what we call our first and 10 segment, uh, we're going to analyze the two teams at the top of the draft, the, the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans, and discuss which is a better landing spot for one of the quarterbacks that's likely to be taken in those first two picks, Bryce Young or, or C.J. Stroud. And then in part two, what we call our coach's corner uh, aspect of the show where we really kind of get into breaking the game down. We're going to look at the modern quarterback position and we're going to look at how emphasis on, on athletic mobile so-called dual threat quarterbacks and their ability to run the ball has changed the game. We're going to talk about how to defend those quarterbacks. What are some strategies that teams use to defend them? We're going to look in particular at the Lamar Jackson situation. Why is that so tricky, a little bit more complicated than it, than it is with most quarterbacks as Jackson seeks a new contract. And we're going to do that all with special guest, Frank Lasasso, great coach from here in the state of New Jersey and a guy with a ton of football knowledge. And you'll want to stick around until the end because Frank's got a really interesting story to tell about his son, Frankie, and their family's battle with Frankie's leukemia. It's a fat, fantastic and inspirational story. So stick around for that. 
Okay, so as we as we launch here in our first and ten segment, let's talk about the two teams at the top of the draft: the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans, both of whom seem dead set on taking a quarterback. And the quarterbacks in question, the two who seem most likely to be selected, are, as I mentioned, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. So, first, so a, a quick history lesson, right? There, there are have not been, historically speaking, a lot of quarterbacks who have been taken at the top of the draft drafted by bad teams who have gone on to find early success i'm not talking about first round picks in general because some first round picks wind up in pretty good situations for playing for pretty good teams i'm talking about quarterbacks that are drafted near the top of the of the draft by teams that are not very good and and how do those teams support their young quarterbacks can they find early success it's not impossible but when you go back through the list, there aren't many who have been able to do it. Honestly, I mean, in the in recent history, you look at Joe Burrow, drafted by a 4-11-1 Bengals team uh, in 2019. Actually drafted by a 2-14 Bengals team. And, and they, they go 4-11-1 in Burrow's rookie year. But Burrow's rookie year is kind of, you got to put an asterisk next to it because he blows out his knee and misses a lot of the season. But when he comes back in his second year, uh, they go 10 and seven and make it to the Super Bowl. Um, you go back to Andrew Luck all the way back to 2011. Uh, he's drafted by a two and 14 Colts team and, and they go 11 and five in his rookie campaign. Uh, and then before that, you probably got to go all the way back to Ben Roethlisberger way back in 2004, who's selected by a six and 10 Steelers team. And he leads them to a 15 and one Mark after taking over for Tommy Maddox in week two of the season. And that's about it, man. That's the list. There aren't a lot of guys. I mean, Cam Newton, you could throw him in there as well, actually. But there aren't a lot of guys who were drafted early by bad teams who had immediate success. And the reasons are generally pretty obvious, right? The structure's not in place. It's the roster's not good enough. They they lack a key element. Maybe it's maybe it's playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe it's a defense. That's just not good enough. And it leads to a coaching change. And then the instability in the coaching change creates a problem. Maybe it's a bad scheme fit, right? Maybe it's an offensive coordinator who that quarterback struggles to work with. There's lots of reasons as to why young quarterbacks don't make it, right? And often it has to do with the organization uh, who takes them and, and how everything fits there. So when we think about the two organizations at the top of the draft here, let's go through the two of them. Carolina, the Panthers went seven and 10 last year and they, and, and they only finished a game out in the NFC South. They traded all the way up to the number one spot, obviously because they want to take a, the, their quarterback of the future. They've got a new head coach in Frank Reich who has head coaching experience before he spent the last four years in Indianapolis. They've got a new OC in Thomas Brown, who was uh, in Los Angeles the last three years under Sean McVay's system. Brown is is and, and Reich seem to be of the similar uh, similar mindset in that they they both want to establish the run. Frank Reich, I think, sometimes gets identified as a, a a guy who wants to sling the ball around. But in his introductory press conference as head coach, he talked about how you know to be successful in the NFL, you got to be able to run the football. Uh, Thomas Brown is coming out of Sean McVay's system, wide zone, bunch sets, play action pass, lots of deception, lots of motion. The offense in Carolina will probably look a little bit like 
it did it with the Rams or maybe some of what you see in San Francisco, McVay and Kyle Shanahan are, are from the same coaching tree. Uh, and that's not a bad thing for the Panthers. They finished 10th in the league in rushing last year at 130 yards per game. Where they struggled was in the passing game, right? 29th in the season in the passing game. They do have a, a solid O-line, right? They, they gave up the 11th fewest sacks in the NFL last year, 30, 36 total. And they returned all five starters. So on the offensive side of the ball, there are some encouraging signs. When you get into the playmakers, though, that's where there may be some issues, right? You have Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard at running back, two, two decent backs. So, so they, they, again, seem to be okay in the run game. But who will whomever the Panthers take throw the football to, whichever quarterback they take? Who are they going to get the ball to? They traded for DJ Chark. They have Terrence Marshall returning. They signed Adam Thielen in free agency. Uh, I'm sorry, they signed Chark. They traded for LaVisca Cheneau. Um, they have Hayden Hurst at tight end. Hurst is a nice tight end, but none of those receivers really um, put the fear of God in the defense, right? They traded away the two guys who did that, right? The Panthers traded away Christian McCaffrey. They traded away DJ Moore. Uh, they, they, they seem to lack playmakers on the perimeter, and, and that could be a challenge for them. Now, if they're going to build the offense around a solid run game, the play action passing game, integrate the tight end more, do some of the things that we've seen San Francisco and the Rams both ride to success over the past few years, then, then it could work. They, either one of the quarterbacks at the top of the draft, Young or Stroud, are mobile. They're both probably built for an offense like that. Stroud is a little bit more of an accomplished pocket passer. Young may be the guy who you get out on the perimeter a little bit more. You try to use his athleticism. Young at five foot ten. How much do you want to keep him in the pocket? I mean, you know, the, the number of pure pocket passers who are under six feet, that's a very short list in NFL history or modern NFL history anyway. So so the system seems built to lead to success for either one of those guys. The big question in Carolina, do they have the horses up front? I'm sorry. Uh, do they have the horses uh, at the skill position? All right, let's take a look at the Houston Texans, right? Coming off of a 3-13-1 season. They finished five and a half games back in the AFC South. Uh, they have a new head coach as well, D'Amico Ryans, uh, the former defensive coordinator from the 49ers. He's bringing with him from San Francisco as his offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, who was the passing game coordinator in San Fran. Uh, both of those guys are kind of rooted in defense. I mean, Ryan's is, is, uh, was a great NFL linebacker and has been an excellent defensive coordinator. Bobby Slavik, uh got his start in the NFL coaching in defense uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, his first year as an offensive assistant in the NFL was 2019 after he'd worked several years uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um uh, he was elevated to the passing game coordinator in San Francisco last season. And everybody understands that San Francisco obviously has one of the more interesting uh, systems in the NFL under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Houston, you know, the, the numbers on offense are very discouraging. I mean, they look like a bottom of the barrel team who should be picking number two overall. They were 31st in yards per game. They were 31st in rushing yards per game. They were 25th in passing yards per game. They were dead last in the NFL in, in average yards per completion, which means they really weren't able to push the ball down the field at all. 
Uh, I mean, the one encouraging metric is that they gave up the 13th fewest sacks in the NFL, 38. So it's not like the O-line was a turnstile and their quarterbacks were just getting abused. They have a, a running back in Damian Pierce, who as a rookie last year produced almost 1,000 yards, 939 yards rushing. So solid runner, if not solid run game. Uh, there's been a lot of transition in the, at the skill positions, right? They brought in Robert Woods from Tennessee. Uh, they brought in the tight end Dalton Schultz from Dallas. Assuming I'm assuming Woods and Schultz will be their two big playmakers. They have John Mechie III coming back hopefully for them after his leukemia diagnosis. We, we obviously wish him the best and hope for success for him, but that's a significant question. And then you've got a bunch of unproven guys behind them. Now, Houston, as we'll talk about in a minute, they do have uh, a, a wealth of draft picks. Uh, and so they'll, they'll likely look to add to their skill position room through the draft. Uh, and they did they did ink Laramie Tunsil, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, to a three-year extension. So he'll be he'll be rooted in place there for the next couple of years, right? So, okay, so that's the situation in Houston. I mean, it, it doesn't look very good in terms of the numbers, uh, but I mean, there are some somewhat encouraging signs when you kind of think down the road. This is really where we get into the interesting. Question, what's the better situation if you're Bryce Young or CJ Stroud? Now, now, hey, look, if you, if you ask both these guys, where would you rather go? I'm 100% certain they'd both say Carolina because Carolina's got the top pick and everybody wants to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, and these guys are likely to go one and two, which means they'll probably be compared to one another throughout their entire careers. And so the interesting question is, is Carolina the better fit? Is it, is it the better, I shouldn't say fit, I should say situation. Is it the better situation to be drafted into as a young quarterback or, or is it Houston? Well, they both have similar offenses, right? The, the, uh, the Riken Brown scheme or, or Brown scheme anyway is rooted in McVay and the Rams. Uh, Slawick and Ryan coming from the 49ers, that's the Kyle Shanahan system. Very, very similar offenses, right? They both have decent running backs. Uh, they both lack playmakers uh, at the receiver position. They both have decent tight ends, Hayden Hurst and Dalton Schultz. And they both have uh, average to maybe even slightly above average offensive lines with some continuity there. Carolina bringing back all five starters and Houston re-signing Tunsil. Um the interesting thing is when you get into the coaches, right? So let's talk about Frank Reich real quick. Frank Reich has worked with over the, you know, his time in Indianapolis. He worked with, with Andrew Luck in his final year of his career. He worked with Philip Rivers. He worked with Carson Wentz. He worked with Matt Ryan. Veterans. Frank Reich has worked with veteran quarterbacks who uh, are probably used to being able to do certain things and not do certain things, who probably have strong opinions. I mean, you think about some of the personalities there, Luck, Rivers, Wentz, Ryan, strong personalities. Uh, Reich has probably been able to work with them in terms of, of creating some sort of uh, teamwork, so to speak, with the offense, right? A partnership. It's, it's probably been part, part what Frank Reich wants to do and part what these veteran quarterbacks want to do. 
Now he'd be stepping into a situation where he's working with a, a rookie. It'd be a very, very different situation. Let's talk about Bobby Slavik, on the other hand. As the passing game coordinator in San Francisco, he worked closely with Trey Lance and then Brock Purdy. And everybody understands the success that the 49ers had with Brock Purdy, who kind of came from being Mr. Irrelevant to being a dynamic rookie quarterback who took the 49ers to the NFC Championship game. I can't help but think that maybe Bobby Slough's experience with those young quarterbacks in San Francisco will serve him better because it will help him be maybe a little bit more open-minded and maybe understand a little bit better what he's working with than with what Frank Reich, an older coach who's been around the block and is used to working with more established veterans, that may, that may make Reich's transition to working with a rookie a little bit tougher. Now, Carolina's closer to winning right now. Right. They there they went seven and and, uh, and ten last year. They were only a game back in, in the weak NFC South. Um, they may be built. They may be the better situation right now. They may be closer to winning in 2023. But I would have to say this if I'm going to answer my own question, what's the better situation? I think down the road, it's Houston. I think Houston with Slawick, who knows how to work with young quarterbacks, with D'Amico Ryans, who's going to build a strong defense in Houston with 21 draft picks. They got 21 draft picks over the next two drafts, including four first rounders. With that wealth of, of draft capital and the ability to move around the draft and do some creative and interesting things in the draft, I can't help but think, despite the allure of being the number one overall pick and going to Carolina, that Houston may be the better situation in the big picture for either Young or Stroud. Okay, those are my thoughts in the in the first and 10 segment. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about the modern quarterbacking position, how it's changed, how the mobile quarterback challenges defenses, how defenses uh, respond to that. And we're going to do it all with my good friend, Frank Lasasso. Come on back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to the call sheet. This is Kevin Smith, the host of one of the flagship programs here on the Fans First Sports Network podcast platform. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KT Smith FFSN. In the first half of our show, we talked about landing spots for some of the top quarterbacks in the NFL draft. What teams might provide them the best opportunity for success as they come into the league? Which teams are are built the best to support? Uh, a new quarterback. And in the second half of the show, in what we call our coach's corner segment, we're going to continue the quarterback discussion, but from a different perspective, we're going to look at athletic quarterbacks, some of the dual threat quarterbacks that are entering the NFL, some of the challenges that they pose to defensive coordinators, and then specifically the Lamar Jackson dilemma. Why does he create such a problem for opposing defenses, but why is bringing on Lamar Jackson a challenge in and of itself. And to do all of that, we're going to talk to a longtime coach here in the great state of New Jersey, one of my good friends and colleagues, Mr. Frank Lasasso. Frank, what's going on, man? Not much, coach. Just enjoying some Easter break. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, I, I said that, you know, you are, you are a, a longtime coach here in, in New Jersey. You were uh, the original defensive coordinator at Ocean City when I first got the job, and you and I went through a, a – a great, a really interesting growth period there. I mean, we, we inherited a, a two and three win football team and through your hard work and a lot of our, our colleagues, we were able to build it up uh, to be in a championship level program. We learned a lot of lessons along the way. And one of the lessons we learned was how to defend athletic quarterbacks. And if we go back to 2014, we got a great lesson in the form of Isaiah Pacheco, the, the, the Super Bowl winning starting running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who was the quarterback at Vineland High School back in 2014, and and they came down to our place and beat us largely by just running the quarterback. Uh, so I'll start off with this question to you. What are what are some of the biggest challenges that a defense, is, a defense faces when opposing a so-called dual-threat quarterback, specifically a quarterback, a good runner like Pacheco? So the, the problem with, with defending um, the running quarterback basically becomes – that they're they're essentially playing with twelve guys, right? You got a guy now that can he can throw the ball, he can run the ball, but in that you also now take say the running back that's in the backfield with him, and you know high school teams especially you don't see it as much in the NFL, but high school teams especially will use the running back as a lead blocker. So so now not only do you have an extra runner, you also create an extra blocker, especially in the high school game, the NFL college level. And at high school, you also use that running back as a, a read type player where now we can, we can give him the ball. We can, we can, you know, run him on a sweep to the outside where the quarterback's going to pull the ball on a power read scheme and run up inside. Um, and then, 
you know, over the last probably five to eight years, I would say now, not only were we dealing with just zone read power read concepts back in the early teens, early 20 teens in the late 20 teens into the 2020s. Now, not only are we going to read, are we going to read, um, you know, the end man on the line of scrimmage, but we're also going to read the linebacker and we're going to throw an RPO in off of that. So, you know, all the read schemes have really changed the way that that defensive coordinators have had to, you know, scheme up, you know, ways to not only defend a guy that can can throw and run, um, but but now he can throw, run and hand the ball off all in the same play. So all these different things going on in the backfield really create a problem for defenses. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the power read scheme. Traditionally, as you said, it began with the zone read where where you were the quarterback was reading the unblocked defender away from the path of the back, but power read takes away that tendency by you're now reading the unblocked defender to the path of the back. And so you could go either way with your read scheme. And what's really interesting is how NFL teams now are showing a willingness to run their quarterbacks between the tackles. It was one thing when it was zone read and, and the QB's pulling the ball and he's getting outside on the edge where there's a little bit more space. But you look at like the Bills, they're running power read and, and bash with Josh Allen, which makes total sense because he's 6'5", 240, and he's fast and he's strong. But on the other hand, that's a $250 million ball carry that you're running up in between the tackles. So, so let me ask you this question, right? When you consider how defensive defenses have had to evolve. What are some of the strategies that defenses can use to, to neutralize these athletic quarterbacks? I mean, do you put some and be aggressive? Do you fall back and, and try to contain them, play man, play zone? I mean, what, what, what's really your strategy for defending this tactic by offenses? The main thing that you have to be able to do is find a way to get one and sometimes two extra defenders into the box, right. To be able to defend the run. And, you know, at the NFL, it's, it's much more difficult because let's face it, the guys that are, that are, you know, playing quarterback are there because mainly they they have the ability to, to throw the ball. Right. But now mix in their ability to run the ball and, and, you know, now you have a problem. Um, you know, at the high school level, it's a little bit different because, we can say, hey, you know, this very rarely do you do you come across a quarterback that can throw it and run it extremely, extremely well at the high school level. So you basically lean on, OK, well, what what would we rather him do? Would we rather have the ball in his hands or would we rather him be throwing the ball because maybe he's not as effective in the passing game? And you kind of center your scheme around what what does he do well and what does he not do so well? You know, in, in the instance where, you know. You ha- you come across a quarterback that can do both, and then you you've got you got a mismatch problem, and then you have to really mix up the looks that you're giving him. Um, also, right. at that, the was high- the, that was the one thing. I- sure, go ahead, coach. Yeah, at the, at the high school level, you, you know you you can you can kind of dictate what where where are you matched up better. You know, um, it it also depends on your matchup up front at the high school level as well. I mean, if you're playing a team, let's say, let's say, a sh- you know, we played Shawnee High School back in 2019 
um, in the South Jersey finals. I mean, their their quarterback was was elusive on the edge, but not as much of a runner up inside. But they run some schemes that, you know, and they're a very well-rounded team where sometimes they have a, a quarterback that can run it, they can throw it. Their offensive line is always dominant. So in that case, you're basically forced to get an extra guy in the box because more, more times than not, they're going to be better than you up front. Uh, at the NFL, it's it's much more difficult because, you know, the the, the matchups are, are fairly even across the board, right? The offensive line, defensive line, the disparity is is so minimal between, you know, the, the offensive and defensive line, the secondary and the receivers, you, you know, the linebackers and the running backs. So so you're you're more forced to play balanced football. And at the NFL, that's I think what you were going to piggyback off of was you've got to mix up the looks. You cannot give the same look over and over again. You can't just play man. You can't just play zone. You can't just blitz and you can't just sit and play defense. And I think that, you know, that's what makes it so difficult to defend the Jalen hurts right now, because he he can run it and he's, he's throwing the ball very effectively. And the bills really were the first team that came to mind when, when we, when I started, you know, looking at the, the quarterback running schemes in NFL, because, you know, typically you've got Lamar Jackson who he'll, he'll run it to the edge. He'll keep the ball to the outside. But when you got Josh Allen, that's going to slam it up between the tackles. That's a different kind of problem. So you really need to be willing to mix up the looks gap exchange blitzes, you know, where sometimes you're going to, you're going to take that read key off the edge, that five technique on the outside. You're going to, you're going to let him crash down inside and play the linebacker over the top. And then, Mix it up, let that five technique feather on the outside and blitz the linebacker through the B gap and see and see how the quarterback reacts to it. Yeah. And it's funny because when you think back a few years, the NFL hadn't seen a lot of this stuff, things that you and I were dealing with, things that college coaches were dealing with. It, it hadn't made its way up to the NFL because everybody was terrified of running their quarterbacks. And so so when it, it started to so a lot of these NFL coaches were traveling to colleges to meet with college staff. So uh, there's a really good anecdote about Bill Belichick taking the Patriots staff down to Alabama to meet with Nick Saban, essentially to say, how do you, how do you defend this stuff? And then, and then the NFL, uh, because like what you were saying, the quarterbacks can do both. They can run and they, and throw once the, once defenses started to get aggressive to defend the box, bringing their safeties all the way down, then they started reading the third level. They started reading the safeties, running glance concepts, which is where if that safety really comes down aggressively to be a box fitter, you're pulling the football and throwing skinny post with the receiver replacing where that safety had been, which if you talk to a lot of defensive coordinators, they'll all say that's totally illegal because <laughs> you got linemen downfield trying to climb to the linebacker level and block those guys while you're throwing a post route. How is that legal? But the NFL has got this gray area above about three yards or so that they, they are pretty lenient about allowing linemen to kind of roam into that level. And so it makes it really, really challenging to when, when, when you're now having to def- worry about all three levels with these run option schemes. So, uh, all right, let me, let me segue to a, a, a conversation. That's a really interesting one in the NFL right now, which revolves around Lamar Jackson, right? Former league MVP, 26 years old in his prime, uh, tremendously successful so far. I mean, his his career record as a starting quarterback is 45 and 16. He's accounted for 125 touchdowns against just 38 interceptions. I mean, this is a guy who you would think 
NFL teams, well, first and foremost, quarterbacks like that don't get made available. Um, and if they do, NFL teams are banging down the door trying to get to that quarterback. Yet, that's not the case with Lamar Jackson. So so talk to me a little bit about why, why you think that is. I mean, the price is high, but it's not exorbitant. Uh, why, why do you think that, that teams have been unwilling to make a move to try to acquire him? I think you see that, you know, last year, especially you start seeing the the knee injuries. And I think even the year before um, he was a little bit banged up, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm not a big, not a big stat personnel guy in the NFL to where I follow, you know, every, every week, every player. Um, but you, you see that he hasn't completed a full season in a, in a, in a couple of years. Um, and the one year, I guess it was what, 2019, he was, uh, the MVP of the NFL. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So in 2019, he was the NFL MVP and go into the playoffs and he kind of faltered there. Um, and, you know, I think I, GMs are going to be hesitant to, to pay, to pay someone a ton of money. I mean, he's, he's not, he's not in the twilight of his career anymore. He is getting a little bit older and now the injuries are starting to show and it's, you know, do we take a chance to pay this guy franchise money where we don't know what the guarantee is of how long he's going to last based on his style of play? You know, there, you see the jokes out there that Lamar Jackson's a running back playing quarterback. I don't, I don't think that that's true. I mean, he puts up some big time numbers and he was the, the MVP of the league for, for good reason. Um, but I, I think there's a durability, you know, issue there. And without getting into all the technicalities of, of money and, and, free agency and everything. I, I don't know if he's doing himself any justice by not having an agent. You know, I think that that's also I think that's a, a really good point. A major a, agents, a, agents are filters. When, when you're in a negotiation with somebody, you need to be candid about what's going on. If I say to you, you need to give me X amount of money. And, and you say back to me, I'm not going to give you X amount of money because here are three reasons why you're not worth it. You say that to an agent and that never makes it to the player. You can be candid. How do you say that to Lamar Jackson's face and not have there be, you know, hurt feelings there, not have it get salty? Uh, I don't I don't know how you negotiate that deal without an agent when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I, I think that's a major a major reason as to why he and Baltimore haven't haven't come to an agreement. It doesn't look like they're going to. But it is fascinating when you think about the perception that Jackson is only a runner. Now, granted, Greg Roman's offense was so run heavy. It's, I mean, here's another association. You said it's not like he's a running back playing quarterback. Isaiah Pacheco was a running back playing quarterback. Uh, we just couldn't stop it. He was just that good. But when you look at like Greg Roman's offense, we are so we had a chance to play against Greg Roman back in 2007 when he was the, the offense coordinator at Holy Spirit High School. Uh, which is right down the road from us. And when, and when I think back on that scrimmage, Greg Roman ran power every possible way that you could run power. He ran it from uh, spread sets, from heavy sets. He ran it, you know, every which way. All they wanted to do was, was get the running back into the A gap and the B gap and, you know, block down, kick out, et cetera. And he, he took that same mentality. To both of them. They just did it at a much higher level in the NFL, but you know, it was still the same idea that, hey, look, we're going to be a gap run team. We're going to, we're going to bloody our nose and get downhill. And they, and they did it with running backs and they certainly did it with Lamar Jackson. 
But at Louisville, Lamar Jackson played in a spread offense. Four wides, no tight ends. He slung the ball all over the place. So I wonder if the question about him is rooted in the offense that Greg Roman ran, right? He, oh, he hasn't done it yet at the pro level. I don't know if it's, it's not that like he can't do it because he sure did it at Louisville. It's that he can't. we don't know if he can do it at the pro level. And if we don't know, we're not willing to take the risk. That's what I wonder about with Jackson. So, hey, let me let me ask you one more question, right? If you were a quarterback needy team like Indy, who picks fourth, the Colts pick fourth, or maybe a little bit further down, you know, down down the road there, the the Patriots, who I don't know, Mac Mac Jones maybe seems to have fallen out of favor a little bit. Uh, you know, if you're Indy, you've got Jonathan Taylor, right? Another South Jersey guy that you know we have we have some connection with, right? You have Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and you have a run game built to support Lamar Jackson. If you're New England, you got Bill Belichick, who seems to be able to find a way to do whatever he wants with in, in any situation. Would you pull the trigger on on Jackson if you were one of those two teams? Uh, when when you look at their roster, I mean India, India especially. I feel like they're they're a team that can win that can win now with with the right guy at quarterback. And if you don't take a chance on a, on a proven quarterback. You're essentially you're essentially wasting Jonathan Taylor's best years as a running back, right? Because you here you have probably a top three back in the NFL and a guy that can carry you through the playoffs. Put another, like we said, another a, a quarterback that can also serve as a running back. Put him next to him with those two in the backfield together, and I think that's a pretty lethal combination. You know, I think I think that the offensive schemes that they can come up with there. Are, are are pretty much endless. Um, so if I'm the Colts, I'm I'm taking a chance on Lamar Jackson. The Patriots, you've got Mac Jones in there already. You know, I, I don't I'm not sure that Lamar Jackson and Bill Belichick. I, I don't you know I, Lamar Jackson seems like seems like a great dude and a, and a good team player, but I don't know that his style fits Belichick's style. Mac Jones seems more like a like a a a much less ta- uh, talented version than Tom Brady. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they, they went through the Cam Newton experiment and that didn't necessarily go too well. I mean, Cam Newton certainly was at the back end of his career, but I don't feel like the Patriots maximized Cam Newton's running ability. I don't think they played to his strengths very well. So, you know, I, I think that they may, may be more inclined to pass on someone like Jackson. Yeah. Interesting. Or maybe, maybe if you're the Colts, you want to start over with a, a young guy who you can, you can mold from scratch, like a, a, you know, the Richardson kid from Florida, somebody fresh out of the draft. It'll be really interesting to see what, what happens with him. Uh, I, I think he's headed back to Baltimore, especially now that they've, they've signed Odell Beckham Jr. And uh, it seems to, to be an indicator, but, uh, but I don't think anything's getting done until uh, the, the dust settles from the draft and teams really get a chance to look at what they, what they have and what they need. So, all right, Frank, we're running out of time. Before we go, I really want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, about something very special. So your son, Frankie, uh, has become an inspiration to people all over South Jersey where we live. He has a really interesting story. Your family is deeply rooted in the football community here. Your father is a longtime coach. Your grandfather was a legendary coach in Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, you've continued the tradition, and now your son, Frankie, has really kind of you know, won the hearts of, of many, many people here in South Jersey. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Uh, so back in December of 
2020. So we're looking at almost two and a half years ago um, without getting into too much detail. Uh, he was diagnosed with acute T-cell lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, so for the last two and a half years, uh, I think we're at day 855 today. Uh, tomorrow is 856 and the final day of his chemotherapy treatment. Um, he has been obviously battling leukemia for the entire time. Um, you know, in the beginning for the first nine months, he was going at least once a week, sometimes five days a week for treatment. And then uh, since September of 2021, he's been going once a month um, to the clinic for treatment. Um, and also taking daily chemotherapy at home ever since um, the beginning. Um, he, uh, he's been beyond resilient throughout the entire process. I mean, he, he continued to play baseball all through uh, even his toughest days of chemotherapy. That first summer, the summer of 2021, he was there putting him through the ringer. I mean, he had virtually no no immunity, which, you know, considering we were in COVID times was a little bit, it was scary, you know, because you didn't know uh, what COVID would do to his body um, if, if, if he were to contract COVID. Um, and just even in general, I mean, even if it wasn't a COVID time, it was going to be, it was a dangerous situation. Um, but he insisted on playing baseball throughout that summer. And I, I could tell, and you could tell when the way he was moving around his body was not what it was prior to him being sick. Um, but he pushed through, never missed a game, never missed practice. He obviously played baseball last year as well in 2022, playing baseball right now, 2023, um, and, and really excelling. Um, he's playing a nine U travel team right now. He plays in a rec, you know, town rec league. Um, but I think when I look back, I think the most impressive thing that he's done is he, he played a full season of, of, regular tackle football last year um, and was an integral integral part of our team uh, and more impressive than he was offensively. I think he played extremely well defensively and I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, he hadn't played football for a couple of years. You know, he played the year that he got sick and then obviously he had to sit out a year. Um, but man, he, he never missed a practice and we had a scrimmage last August and he had what they call lumbar puncture, a lot of people may know them as spinal taps. So here's a kid who who was put put under moderate sedation, not general anesthesia, but moderate sedation in the morning, um, with a four inch needle going into his spine to to draw fluid to test it for for cancer cells, and then to inject chemotherapy directly into his spine. And then the doctors tell him, "Well, you know, you you make the decision. You know, you you have medical clearance. If you feel like you can play, you can play." And he went out and played in a scrimmage that night, you know, and it was 90 degrees that day. And it, I was just like, you know, the, the, the amount of toughness that that he must have in him and the resilience that he has is just incredible. You know, I have always said you mentioned my grandfather. My grandfather was a tough dude. I mean, you walk around Hamilton, you go in the bars, people are always telling you stories about my grandfather. You know, he did this and he did that and toughest person I've ever met. And. He was tough, but man, Frankie's a, he's a different kind of tough. You yeah. know, he's to go through what he's gone through. And as a parent, you know, you kind of put blinders on and you, it's that fight or flight uh, concept. And I guess my, my 
fight kind of took over and I've kind of just put my head down and this is what you have to do. And this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get through it. So I, I choose to not dwell on how hard it's been, but now that we're at the end of the road and you kind of look back, it's, it's quite remarkable. The road that we've been down, the road that he's been down and the fact that he just goes about life. He just wants to be a normal kid. And I think he's ready for it to be done. Not because of how hard it was. He just wants to be a normal kid. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a remarkable story. And I know that every time he shows up at our practices, our kids are thrilled to see him. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching my son and, and your son com- compete uh, against each other and hopefully with each other, maybe in some fashion as they get older, it's really exciting. And uh, so we're, you know, super proud of him. The fight like Frankie campaign uh, moves forward and uh, the Lasasso family, man, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. There's a whole lot of toughness in that family. So Frankie, we're out of time. We're going to wrap it up and appreciate you coming on here, man. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me, coach. Appreciate it. Do it anytime. Absolutely. All right. That's it. We're out of here. That's, that's episode two of the call sheet. I really enjoy uh, talking to, to, to coaches and getting to kick around some, some really interesting stuff with you guys. Come on back next week. Thanks everybody. Take care.